Let's dive into the word this morning. We started this last week, so I'm just going to finish it up this week. If you open up your sermon notes, which are inside of your bulletin, okay, um, you will see some blanks already filled in for you. That's just where we were last week. I will very briefly review this, and then we'll jump into those last couple points. We are studying a series called The Tough Sayings of Jesus. Jesus said some really heavy-duty things that we're not shying away from. We're trying to look into some of the more difficult-to-understand things. that He said things that might even seem offensive and controversial, and we're looking right at them, and we're doing the very best that we can to study it carefully and see what he might be saying to our hearts today. Here's the passage we're studying. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. It starts with a conversation between Jesus and Peter, where Peter asks Jesus a question. Jesus gives him a short answer, and then he gives him a story to illustrate it. Let me read to you. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? me seven times no not seven times Jesus replied but 70 times seven therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him in the process one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars he couldn't pay so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife his children and everything he owned so he could repay the debt but the man fell down before his master and begged him please be patient with me and I will pay it all Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, grabbed him by the throat, and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. And then Jesus concludes the whole story by saying this. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So the tough thing we're looking at this week is one that begins, if you do not forgive. It's a tough statement. Here's a little bit of where we went last week. Let me, let me just refresh your memory. The big idea that we think Jesus is trying to drive home here is this. No true disciple chooses to be unforgiving. An authentic disciple of Jesus Christ, one of the ways you know who really is a follower of Jesus Christ is because that person demonstrates a willingness to extend unlimited forgiveness when they've been mistreated. The point Jesus is trying to make, and it's very important to us at Echo Community Church because we are passionately committed to being disciples of Jesus and to make more disciples of Jesus. So if this is our bread and butter, if this is what we're going after, then we better be very, very, very clear on what a disciple is and what a disciple is not. What an authentic disciple is and what a counterfeit disciple is. And Jesus draws great distinctions between the two. Two weeks ago, we studied the passage where Jesus says, not everyone who thinks that they are a Christian, not everyone who thinks that they're a disciple, not everybody sitting in church at Echo this morning is necessarily a disciple. Jesus says there will be many, many people who think they're Christians, who have a passionate faith, who lift their hands in worship, who give tithes and offerings, who volunteer on ministry teams, who at the end of the day, when they stand before him on judgment day, Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That was two weeks ago. We studied that passage out. He gave us some qualities, some differentiators between authentic and counterfeit disciples. He gives us another one here. He says an authentic disciple, someone who Jesus will welcome into heaven, 
who he will say, I have a relationship with you, is somebody, it can't be somebody who chooses to deny people forgiveness. In fact, an authentic disciple is someone who is willing to extend unlimited forgiveness when they've been mistreated. That's incredibly controversial. It is incredibly unnatural. And to be very clear, on the surface, you can make a really, really good case for it being incredibly, incredibly unfair. So we talked a little bit more about it last week. We, we, we kind of just, we said there's just a few terms we need to understand under the need for forgiveness. And just a quick review. I need, to be for, I need forgiveness whenever I've been offended, whenever I've been mistreated. I am offended when one of two things occurs. Either I've genuinely been mistreated or I just think I've been mistreated, but I got bad information or I got a- accurate information that I interpreted incorrectly. I need this commodity of forgiveness to apply anytime I've been offended. Because when an offense occurs, a debt is created. That's where people, this idea, they'll pay for this, you know, or, or I'll get even or I'll get them back. This idea that when I've been mistreated, it feels as though a debt has been created and someone owes me. And I want to repay them for that. And finally, what forgiveness actually means is it began as an accounting term. Forgiveness means to cancel a debt completely. That's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness doesn't mean pretending, uh, pretending that a debt never happened or that it never occurred. It's not, it's not sweeping something under the rug. It's more like tearing up an invoice. It's more like saying there has been a debt created. I have been hurt. I've been mistreated. I'm going to tear up the invoice. It's different from, from debt repayment. It's not saying, listen, um, if you just jump through all these hoops and I've, if you fulfill all my conditions, then I will forgive you. No, 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 no. Forgiveness is about canceling a debt completely. So we looked at this parable. Peter thought that he was being pretty generous by saying, you know, Jesus, I'm willing to forgive. Even though the Jewish culture said forgive someone up to three times, Peter said, I'm willing to go to seven. And Jesus said, really, at the end of the day, it's to infinity. We're supposed to forgive people. It's not just love people to the moon and back. We're supposed to forgive people to infinity. That is unnatural. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. So Jesus tells a story to show how important forgiveness really is in God's eyes. And every time Jesus tells a parable, every single character in the parable represents a lesson that we can learn from. We've got three main characters. We've got the king that represents God. It represents Jesus. It represents the king of kings and lord of lords. That's who it represents. You've got the servant. You've got the unmerciful, unforgiving servant there. That represents you and me. That's the character he wants us to identify with. We are the ones who owe the king a huge debt, but we also have people who owe us a debt. We're kind of, we're kind of, we've got something going in both directions there. And then there's another servant, the servant that owes the unforgiving servant a debt. And Jesus wants us to to assume that that could be anybody could be the person sitting in your row this morning. could be a person you see at the grocery store this afternoon or wherever that you go. could be anybody else. And the interplay between them brings us to our application points. Last week, when we started applying the principle, we got as far as number one. God's love for us has no limits. Jesus wants us to see very clearly the limitless love of the king towards the, the, the unmerciful servant. It says his, in verse 26, his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. We hope you understand last week in the original language, it says if you do all the calculations roughly, this guy owed, in the, you know, it says in, our, in the New Living Translation, millions and millions of dollars. The original language says 75 talents, which is a, a measurement of weight. And if you convert that weight to pounds, it turns into tons. 
And if you turn that amount of tons, let's not even talk about gold. Let's talk about in silver. It amounts in today's market to between four and a half and five billion dollars of debt. This servant owed the king five billion dollars. I don't know a Visa card that would give you a five billion dollar limit, but somehow this guy racked up five billion dollars of debt to the king. Notice that the servant never disputes the charge with the king. He recognized, I owe the king. And the king says, no more grace, today is judgment day. We're going to settle all the accounts today. The books show you owe me an offense. Do you have the ability to pay it? No, he doesn't have the ability to pay it. Well, here's what we'll do. We'll sell your wife, your kids, and all your possessions. This guy is a civil servant. I don't know that he had $5 billion worth of assets to sell. So if he sold it all, he still wouldn't be able to do it. Another translation said, he said, I'm going to throw you into prison until you can repay it. He had no possible way of repaying the debt. It, even if he wanted to be on a debt repayment plan, he didn't have enough years in his life. And a million dollars a year would have taken like 4,500 4, years to repay the debt. So the king looks at him and he says, you know what? Since you can't repay the debt... I will simply forgive it. I want you to see the limitless love God has for us because you and I are that person. You and I have accrued a debt to God that we could never pay off even if we wanted to. If you want to be involved in a kingdom that operates on a debt repayment system, then you have to be able to abide by the same rules you expect to be extended to you. If you want everybody that's wronged you to repay you for what you've done, then you must join a system where you're going to have to repay God for everything that you did. And that means that you and I will end up in the same situation. We will end up in hell because we have no ability to repay God for what we've done. The Bible says very simply, every time I sin, it is a death penalty. Okay? Every single sin, the payment for it is a life. It was meted out all through the Old Testament. Jesus came along and became the perfect sacrifice once for all that God accepted on behalf of you and me forever. So your options are this. You can say, God, if I've sinned once a day for the last 10 years, I don't know how, how much that comes to, 30, you know, whatever, 35, 3,600 lives I owe you. Let's say you want to repay him. How many lives do you have to pay him back? You got one. If you want to be in a system where everybody pays everybody back what they owe each other when they do wrong, you and I will all end up in hell. If you want fair, that's the direction we go. The limitless love that God has for us is he says, no matter how many times you sin, no matter how egregious your sins were, no matter what your past is, no matter the foul filth that you don't want anybody to know about that you're ashamed of, when you bring it to God and you say, I can't possibly repay you, he says, you don't have to. The debt has been paid. You just need to accept that over your life and receive it in the name of Jesus. The limitless love the master has for us. Number two. Second thing that we learn from the parable is this. God expects those of us who have received unlimited forgiveness to extend unlimited forgiveness to others. If you have received forgiveness from God in an unlimited capacity. In other words, if every time you've gone to God and said, God, I am sorry, I have been wrong, please change my heart. If every time you've done that, you've been forgiven by God, then God expects that you, out of an understanding of your own grace that you've received, to be able to turn that around and minister it to other people who have offended us, but by comparison, decidedly less than what we've done to God. No one will ever wound you deeper than we have wounded Jesus Christ. And we've been wounded pretty deeply. 
Some of us still have those open wounds. But here's what the parable tells us. God's expectation for you and for me, what he expects of us, is that if we have received from him unlimited forgiveness, part of the reason for him forgiving us is so that we would have the capacity to forgive other people the same way. Well, that's unnatural, Pastor. Exactly. If it was natural, you wouldn't need God's help to do it. You would not need his spirit living inside of you. If you're going to forgive that way, then you need to be in relationship with the best forgiver of all time. And him living in you will give you a capacity to forgive people their sins against you. Here's what Jesus says. The king called the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had mercy on you? Here's what God expects. He expects you to treat other people the way he treats you. Can I make it any more simple than that? In fact, if you read through the New Testament, you'll see this theme over and over and over and over again. One of the benefits God wants to bring into his relationship with you is giving you a new supernatural ability to treat other people a way you could not treat them outside of God treating you that way and God through you helping you treat them that way. All through the New Testament, we see this pattern. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Forgive others as you have been forgiven. Those of you who are spiritual, if you see a brother fall into sin, you ought to restore them gently considering where you've been, considering yourself. This is embedded into the life of what Jesus says a Christian should be about. I should be so aware of how I have been treated by God that it transforms the way I, re- I, I view the rest of his creation and I get in the flow of how he treats other people. I cannot do that in my own strength. I cannot do it. I prefer fairness. I prefer getting even. I prefer when I'm done wrong for a reciprocating action. I like justice. I like it until it's applied to me. And then I don't like it so much. Then I prefer God's system. A system of grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope and recovery and redemption and restoration. Number three. Each of us will give an account before God for how we treated others in this life. Each of us will give an account to God at Judgment Day specifically for how we treat other people. I hope that this soaks into you this morning. I was a pretty good student through high school and through college. One of the ways that I was a good student is I was a very good test taker. Because I was able to kind of daydream my way through class. But I paid close attention to when the teacher would say, this is what you will be graded on. Everything else went in one ear and out the other. But friend, the night before the test, I could cram that stuff in my brain and sit down and spit it out on the test. And I would get a good grade. Why? Because I focused my preparation efforts on that which I knew I would give an account for. I want you to pay very close attention whenever the Bible says you will give an account for this. My role as a pastor this morning is helping you prep for a final exam. In fact, my role in this earth, in a crude kind of an analogy, is to help as many people as I can prepare accurately for a final exam. Now, I know my professors in college, would, in some classes, they made it, if you got less than a C on a paper, it was your own fault. They'd basically hand you the exam in advance. These are the 150 questions I might ask. 
you have all semester to prepare for it. So basically they're saying, if you prepare, you will pass. If you take this and you blow it off, you're going to fail, and it's your fault. Jesus Christ makes it very clear to you and to me and to the world what we will give an account for. He tells us where to find the answers. He gives us an example of how we can prepare ourselves. And here we see, he says, this is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your hearts their sins. Essentially, what we see in this whole parable is Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is going to have a judgment day where the king settles his accounts. And there's a lot of things you might be expecting that God would ask, but really one of the things he's going to be looking, how have you treated people who have done you wrong? You're coming to me and you have done me wrong and you're hoping that I have forgiven you and will forgive you and give you entrance. So how have you treated other people who have done you wrong? You're coming to me and you're wanting grace and you're going to, your, to, your, to the people in your world and you're wanting justice. You're wanting them to get, you know, if they hit you in the head with a tack hammer, you want them to get hit in the head with a bigger tack hammer. We live in this world where we kind of want reciprocating actions for every injustice done to us. And I hope that you understand that in this broken world that we live, as nice as that would be, that's not what we can always realistically expect. And that's not fair. And that's not a pleasant pill to swallow. But I want you to know that you and I will give an account to God for how we treated other people, specifically those who have done us wrong and mistreated us. So much so that the Bible says if you and I refuse to forgive their sins, when we go to appeal to God to get into heaven, it will keep us from heaven. That's very sobering. That's very serious. Because what you're essentially showing God is I don't want access to your kingdom. I want a different system. I don't want to come in to your system where it's grace and mercy for everybody. When you've been mistreated, you forgive us. And when I'm mistreated, I forgive. What you're saying is I prefer a different system. I want a system where I get mercy and forgiveness from my top cover and I can treat people however I want down here. And you're rejecting God's kingdom. You cannot come into God's kingdom and make it into what you want it to be. It is what he says it is. We don't have a God that is how we want him to be. We have a God who is exactly who he is. He does not have an identity crisis. He does not need us to say his name 39 times in prayer to remind him who he is. That type of God will never transform you or me. That God is a product of you and me. I need a God who is exactly who he says that he is. And he has a kingdom that is exactly the way that it says that it is. But it leaves us with this massive problem. Okay, pastor, and every time I teach on forgiveness, I get overwhelmed the next few weeks with emails of, of actual real-life situations. I know pastor said I need to forgive, but what about this instance? What about this instance? And I mean, you want to talk about the stuff that will break your heart as a pastor? Read some of those emails sometimes, your stories. You're living it. Look, we're on Father's Day. I don't want to try and kid this room. This is not a pleasant day for everybody in the room. I understand that. Some of us are here this morning, we want to be dads, and God hasn't made that possible, and that's hard. Some of us did not have a good relationship with dad growing up. Some of us don't even know dad. We have ladies in the room, and some of you are doing just an incredible job trying to be mom and dad. And on Father's Day, I understand that. We're, now we're talking about forgiveness on top of it. What do we do and how do we do it? If God says he expects it, that great. But one of the things I think we fall short in the Christian world is we don't get into the how-tos. We say, you need to do this, do it mindlessly because God said so by God. And Well, how do I forgive someone who's raped me? How do I forgive somebody that, that walked out on my mom and left us struggling? How do I forgive the person who, how do I forgive the drunk driver that took the life of how do I do this? It is not easy. It's not easy. But let me offer you a few practical things. I want to just answer a couple quick questions that come up every time we talk about this. 
and then, and then walk you through how you get. I want to say this. Forgiveness is absolutely a process. It's absolutely a process. This idea that I, I can just, you know, when my son is now getting on this idea of forgiveness. And whenever he does something he's not supposed to do, he doesn't like when dad's unhappy with him, which is actually kind of a good thing. There's, we're finally connecting on that level. Um, it registers in his mind that his disobedience makes his dad unhappy. And more than following the rules, he's motivated by not wanting to be separated from the heart of his dad, if that makes sense. That's the same way that our Heavenly Father wants us to be motivated to obey Him. We obey Him out of love for Him, not of fear for the rules. Because love is a much more powerful much more powerful force. But my son, you know, whenever he says, you know, I'm sorry, Dad. It, it, right, uh, okay, son. And I'm right on the heels of it. Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you for-? I mean, like, he wants me to say that. He knows, he knows that once I say it's all forgiven, it's like, okay, now I can get a timeout and go play. You know, but I mean, like, he, he recognizes that's a key part of the it is, Forgiveness is absolutely a process. Because there are moments where I say, I do forgive you, and yet he can walk away and play, and I'm still kind of steaming a little bit, you know, and it's still there, right? So what do we do with this? Let me ask a couple questions that I'm going to answer myself real quickly. We'll spend the last five minutes on the practical side. Pastor, does someone have to ask me to forgive them in order for me to forgive them? Does someone have to ask for my forgiveness? Let me say it another way. What if this person who hurt me is absolutely, completely unforgivable? They're continuing to do what they've done. They don't see anything wrong about it. They don't think that they've done They don't even think they need forgiveness. Do I have to forgive that person? The short answer is absolutely. For your sake, not necessarily for theirs. Absolutely. Because every time, every time you think of that person, you see that person, the event comes up in your mind, don't you feel pain? Do you want to let that person be in charge of that for the rest of your life? They might not ever come back to you and ask you for forgiveness. They might not ever see that they did anything wrong. I've walked people through, and I'm sure Brian you have and Stuart you have, I've walked people through having to forgive people that are deceased. That person, they can't even go have this conversation. It's something that has to happen internally in their heart over time. It takes two people to rebuild a relationship, but only one person to forgive. You have the power to forgive and live in freedom from the perpetual, ongoing re-victimization of that experience. It takes a decision on your part to say, I want to forgive. And it is okay for you to say, I want to forgive, not even for that person's sake, because that's between them and God. I want to forgive for my sake, because I don't want anything between me and God, and I don't want to live with this pain for the rest of my life. Guess what? You don't have to. You can choose to forgive. Jesus modeled that for us. You know, he forgave people while they were sinning against him who didn't even ask him to forgive them. This very famous moment, he's hanging on the cross, and he says to the murderers, he says to God about the murderers as they're murdering him, what does he say? Father please, what's he say? Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. If Jesus Christ, as he's being murdered, can say this of his murderers, it's possible for us too. I don't want to be overly political this morning. I am torn up in my heart over what's happening in our country. We're broken. We're broken racially. (laughs) We're broken racially. just gets weary sometimes of looking at it and not doing anything about it. But I will say this. I've seen some beautiful expressions of forgiveness coming out of this tragedy in South Carolina. Family members who lost, who looking in the face of the person who in cold blood, for all we know, all we can see, 
stands there without any emotion, listening to people saying, I'm upset with you, you hurt me, and I forgive you. That is godly forgiveness. It's not sweeping it under the rug. It's saying, you hurt me, what you did was wrong, I'm not sweeping it under the rug, you need to repent and get your life, but I choose, I choose, you don't get to choose, I choose to forgive you. I choose. So does someone have to ask you or even be forgivable or even deserve it? Some of the hardest things to forgive, guys, are the people who are continuing to hurt you and they're not changing. Because every time they do it, it just drives that wound deeper and you've got to go back. Pastor, do it, does it, forgiveness is something you have to repeat as necessary. You just have to repeat and repeat. You come to the altar, God, I forgive that person. You walk down the hallway and it comes back to your mind, you got to forgive them again. It's a process. But gradually over time, gradually over time, you will find healing and freedom in your heart does does forgiveness mean i have to like forget about the mistreatment i received doesn't the bible teach forgive and forget pastor no that verse is not in the bible forgive and forget is not what the bible teaches you know why you can't (laughs) the harder you try to forget about something the more impossible it is to forget I mean, now, the things in my life I shouldn't, that's what I'm doing. I need, I need to take advantage of that. I need to think really hard about how to forget where my keys are. I need to really think hard about how to forget where my phone is because I spend so much time looking for those things in my life. But the reality is your mind does not work. Your mind was created, but it does not work in a way where deeply painful experience are just something you can right-click and delete. That's called denial. It's called suppression. It's called deceiving yourself. It is unhealthy. You can't sweep those things under the rug Forever, at some point, there's so much under the rug, you run out of rug, and all you've got is this mess that you're dealing with. But many of us, that becomes the path of least resistance. Since we don't know how to forgive, we just try and pretend that it never happened. We try to forget about it. That's deeply unhealthy for you. That's not what God wants for you. You know what's even better? And, but some of you think, well, Pastor, it would just be so much less painful if I could just forget about it. Do you know what's even better than just forgetting about a painful situation? Remembering it without pain. Being able to look at a situation or a person and say, I remember that season, but now that that memory comes up, it doesn't nearly hurt as bad because I've forgiven. I've seen how God's grown me. I've seen how God's changed me. I see what I've learned about him. I see how I've gotten closer to God, how I've learned more about myself. I am now capable of recalling that situation. And I'm not saying you have to be happy about it and sit around and talk about it. There are things in my life that happened that God brought good out of it, but I would never go back and do it all over again. I would never go back to that vomit again. I would never want to see it happen again. It was so horribly painful, some things that I caused and some things that happened to me. I'm not suggesting that you'll get to a place where you say, I wish it would happen all over again. Absolutely not. But you can get to a place in forgiveness where even though you still have the memory of the event or the person, you no longer look at it through the lens of hurt and pain and offense. You can have that situation be part of your history without controlling your future. Let me say that again because I don't know where that came from. Let me say that one more time. I don't even remember what it was now. You, I don't remember. You'll have to listen to tape. I don't remember. <laughs> I know where it came from, I just didn't, it wasn't in my notes in preparation, but maybe I needed to say that for me today. Does forgiveness require me to minimize or excuse the offense? Do I have to say, you know what, it didn't matter, it's okay, it's no big deal. No. How are you helping that other person when you say that? 
Real forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the event. It's not saying it's no big deal. It really didn't hurt. Don't worry about it. It didn't hurt me that bad. The truth is, if it's worth forgiving, it really did hurt you. It really did cause you pain. And you don't need to minimize it. That's not part of forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying what I've heard these people, these family members, followers of Christ, authentic disciples in Charleston, say, yes, it did hurt. Yes, it did cause pain. I'm going to let it go, and I'm not going to keep holding it against you. I'm going to choose to forgive you. How do I know when I've forgiven someone, Pastor? I, I, I don't know if I've forgiven this person or I haven't. I think a safe way, I, I'd like to rephrase that. That makes it such an absolute statement. I would encourage you to get involved in the process of forgiveness. Are you still in the process somewhere? Are you in that process? How do I know if I'm in the process? Well, I, I don't know that I have an absolute list for that. Let me give you a couple of things. Number one, how do I know if I'm forgiving somebody? Well, do you still feel pain every time the event or the person comes to your mind? If it's still a sharp pain that you feel, there's more journey to go. doesn't mean that you're not in the process. But whenever you feel that pain come back up again, you know what you need to do? You need to extend forgiveness again. Are you at a place where you still view that person through the lens of what they owe you and of the offense? If that's what's still coloring the way you view that person, there's still some journeying to be done. It's kind of like my son. My son is, I mean, he's a boy. And I tell my wife all the time, look, it's okay if he gets some scrapes. He's going to have scrapes and bruises and cuts on his legs just through the rest of his life. This is going to happen. He's a boy. And if you looked at my son, you'd have all kinds of stories. You see all kinds of cuts and scrapes. And, of course, now I'm making it sound like we're negligent parents. We're not. He's quick. He's quick sometimes. But, you know, progress for him is not saying that all those scars and boo-boos are gone. It's the fact that he can go out and play and we can touch his leg and he doesn't feel pain every time we get near it. I think it's a great illustration for how our spiritual lives work, too doesn't mean that you're trying to get to a place in life where you just say, hey, those things never happen. I don't even think about it anymore. But where you can live your life and not be controlled by those experiences. And when everybody gets, have you ever run into somebody who just lets you have it and you did nothing to provoke it? Like this happens to me sometimes like at grocery stores or whatever. The cashier's just having a bad day. I didn't do it, but I'm the one that bears the brunt of it. Somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, something happened there. And anytime you tread near it, it comes out. You can live in such a way that you're not the one with all these minefields everybody else is navigating. So, Pastor, how do I do? How do I do this? How, I recognize that there's some unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody. Here's four R's for you. I'll, I'll say them all, and then there's one I want to expand just a little bit. It's not in your notes. It's just, how, how, how do I do this? I recognize there's unforgiveness in my heart. What do I do to move forward? How do I get some traction here? I don't want to stop here. You can't leave me off the hook right here, Pastor. I need to know what I need to do. Here's the practical parts. Remember, relinquish, respond, repeat. Remember, relinquish, respond, repeat. Remember how much you've been forgiven. Start there. Start there. Remember what a massive debt you and I have had paid off for us. That is a good thing. That is great news. Remember that first. Consider yourself in the situation. Relinquish. 
Here's what Paul says in Romans. I don't like this part. If there's one of these ones I could get rid of, this would be the one. Relinquish my right to get even. Here's what you have to be careful about. Some people say, well, the New Testament, you know, does the Bible really teach pacifism that I just need to be a doormat for people to walk over? No, the Bible doesn't. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans that when you're done wrong, you should be stood up for. And the person who did you wrong should get their comeuppance, right? It just says you're not the one supposed to do it. The Bible says, when you're done wrong, remember the words of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. We forget about this. We think God just wants us to go around, you know, turning the other cheek until we have two black eyes. You know, that's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible says, have enough sense to get out of the way and let dad handle it. Because when you get in and try and defend yourself, you get in God's way. And then dad has to deal with you first. And then them. And this takes a long time. Problem is, when you're done wrong, we want to get them right now. We, want to, we think we're going to get them better than God will. And sometimes we retaliate by going on the offense. And sometimes we retaliate by just withholding from people the general common human decency that they deserve. Sometimes the way that you show unforgiveness is not because you go around talking ill about somebody. You'll go out of your way not to say hello. You find yourself in your heart rooting when bad things happen. And that's just as toxic as those other things. You have to relinquish your right to try and even the table and trust God to do it. Thirdly, you have to respond. Here's what Jesus says. Another one of my favorite tough sayings. Respond to evil with good. Who wants to be a Christian today? You know, <laughs> Fantastic. Respond to evil with good. Let me give you one way that you can apply this to unforgiveness. The person who does you wrong, that's continuing to do you wrong, pray for them. Pastor, that's just a cliche. No, 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 no. It is impossible for me to genuinely and consistently and continually pray for someone who's done me wrong without my heart changing towards that person. It's impossible. Feels unnatural at first. God, thank you for the people who hit me on the head with the tack hammer. I pray that you... You know, thank you for the person who does me wrong. Thank you for the person that's attacking my family. Thank you for the, bless their lives, bless their careers. It seems completely unnatural at first, and it kind of is. But I will tell you this, Jesus says, pray for your enemies and bless the people who do you wrong. Why? Not for them, for you. It changes your heart. Because when I pray, after a while, I want to see if my prayers are effective. And it's impossible for me to be praying God's blessing. You know how I also pray? God, I pray your conviction over this person that's hurting me. They are living in sin. They don't even know it. That's a bigger deal than what they're doing to me. They're putting their eternal lives at stake. I pray that through my life or through somebody else, that you bring them to this, I begin to pray over their lives. And when you begin to do good, that's good. You might not feel like baking them a pie or a cake or sending them a Christmas card, but can you at least start with changing your heart towards them? It will keep your heart from being bitter and it opens up a channel for God's forgiveness and redemption to flow because the bigger deal over that person making things right with you is making things right with him. Because everything else falls into place. And then finally, repeat the process as long as necessary. This can happen in moments in your heart when someone does you wrong. God, I thank you so much that you have forgiven me and you're going to need to help me right now because I'm about to go off on this person. But I'm going to let it alone. I'm going to let you deal with that. And I pray for them right now that you just straighten them out in the name of Jesus. And very quickly, you can move through those steps. And then 10 seconds later, you might have to repeat it again. And 20 seconds later. But if you will commit to being on this process, that's what God wants to see from our hearts. He wants to see that you are at least willing 
to extend unlimited forgiveness when you've been mistreated. I will tell you, the deeper the offense, the deeper that it is. Does that mean you have to be buddies with them? No. In fact, in some cases, it is not wise for you to rebuild relationships with people. I don't always tell people, that I, I, to the wife who has been physically abused by a man, I want to help her come to forgiveness. I don't want to move back in with him. I have family members that, that I trusted investing money for me when I was, this was 10, 15 years ago. I trusted them investing a lot of money. Well, they lied to me about it. I lost all of it. Now, I'm working towards forgiveness, but do you think I'm going to let them invest money of mine again? No way. Do you understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? The beautiful thing is that sometimes when there's forgiveness in place, God does rebuild a relationship, and I'm sure that there are testimonies all over this room about that. But I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking that forgiveness equals that we're just BFFs and we're buddies again and we're always, you know, we're just going to go have it. That's not always the direction that this takes. But I'm most concerned about your heart. You cannot do anything about anybody's heart but your own. And I don't want you to live letting an event from your past control your future. I want you to be able to choose to get on this pathway of forgiveness. And where it seems impossible, you're right, except through Jesus Christ, who models for us ultimate forgiveness. And if he's living inside of you, you have every bit of everything that you need living in you today to extend that forgiveness to others. Let's pray this morning. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you need to ask his forgiveness for you, you've been here this morning and you just recognize this God that they've been singing about and talking about and teaching about, I need to be in relationship with him. Perfect. This moment is for you. I want to invite you to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that it involves you confessing it with your mouth and believing it in your heart. Those are two things I can't do for you. Those are two parts of this that you have to own. You have to be willing to confess with your mouth what you believe about God and what you believe about you. And you have to be able to, it has to be able to come from a heart that genuinely believes it. So if that's where you're at this morning, you can pray a simple prayer that says something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life that I should have lived and you died the death on the cross that I deserved. You've paid for my sins forever and you're alive today. You rose from the dead and you're alive today. So I come to you, Jesus, and I also believe everything you say about me. I believe that I have sinned. I believe I owe you more than my life could ever repay. So instead, I just confess to you my need for you And I accept forgiveness for my sins that Jesus, you paid for. So now I choose, if you'll have me, to be your disciple, to follow you, and to grow closer to you every day of my life.